Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to International Podcast. This is episode 80, 82, and I'm Nick Mercer. And I'm Erin Gilfoyle. And before we get started talking to Paula Sophia, we would first like to thank our sponsor, Head Check Health. Concussion Talk Podcast is presented by Head Check Health. Head Check Health bridges the gaps in concussion care through simple, powerful technology. Join organizations like the Canadian Football League, Track Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Eastern Washington University, and Volleyball Canada, who rely on HeadCheck Health to improve communication and optimize care. Visit HeadCheckHealth.com for more. So thank you very much, Alice Sophia, for joining us on this episode 82. And uh, my first introductory question to you is, can you just tell what happened to you when you were 14 and tell everybody to explain what that arterial, arterial venous malformation is? Yeah. So it's so a long I intro. Was, sounds good. So when I was 14 years old, I had an AVM, arterial venous malformation, rupture in my cerebellum, um, which caused a hemorrhagic stroke. So what that is, well, first of all, I did not know it was there. Um, so what an AVM is explained in very lay person's terms, because I am just a lay person, not a medical professional. Um, it's when your arteries and your veins are supposed to come together via these tiny little blood vessels called capillaries. And in my head, the capillaries didn't form correctly. And when they form, they kind of were in this big jumbled malformed mess. And that big jumble is called a nidus. Um, and so there's nothing really there to regulate or slow down um, the or pressure, slow down the pressure of blood. So my whole life, the blood was pumping, pumping as it should have been. Um, and then one day that nidus, I kind of picture it like a balloon. It was getting bigger, bigger, bigger. And then one day it ruptured. Um, and so I was in grade nine and that led to a massive headache. It's probably the first time in my life that I actually ever experienced a headache. Um, so I knew something was off. I didn't really think anything of it like to call home I, I figured out oh, if I called home to go home because of a headache my parents would be like are you kidding me I'm not leaving 
Um, and so what I ended up going to my fifth period drama class and I ended up fainting because the pressure in my head um, and they got the first responders they had to put in a breathing tube threw me in the MRI and they found the bleed wow but that's a, that's yeah so you're so you 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 finished obviously, obviously finished high school they you did your your master's and your undergrad at one in Waterloo. So, uh, just can you actually, well, yes, you'll get to that by asking, but we answer asking you this question about happy creation. What did you accompany the thought that happy creation was the way to, or did, how did you, first of all, how did you, why did you want to, you, when did you decide that helping people with brain injury and stroke, where was your, I don't say calling, but your, your calling, your, yeah. Yeah, good question. So it's uh, a long story, as most of my stories are, but I will make it work. So, uh, so basically, I, growing up, um, I kind of went through a few different career paths um, that I was really felt strongly about. None of them had to do with brain injury. One was a paleontologist um, because I wanted what? to be like Ross Geller. A paleontologist. Oh, paleontologist. You know? Like Indiana Jones, yeah. But, yeah, like Ross Geller. Oh, Ross Geller, yeah. <laughs> so that was the first one. Um, and then I noticed growing up I was ex- excelled in math. Um, and so I was thinking something along the lines of math um, or science, mostly math, and then possibly going to law school afterwards. Um, and then after I had my brain injury, I noticed that, well, I, based on my marks and I just, the way I felt, I just couldn't do math as well. Um, I just operated slower, it seemed. Um, and so I decided, okay, math wasn't the path for me, but I was still interested in law school. Did, did you still enjoy it? Did you still enjoy math or did you just like not like it as much? As well? Sorry, that's, that's a good question. A no, that's a good question because, like, I, I still enjoy math to this day, even when I have to do little things. Like, I used to work uh, as a cashier, and you have to do little bits of math in there. Yeah, and yeah, I, I enjoy it, but because it, particularly in high school, I struggled at it so much because I felt like I didn't have enough time. That led me to not enjoy it whatsoever. Oh, uh, yeah. And so, um, and so I, oh yeah, so I decided I wanted to go to do law, some type of criminal law, psychology. And, uh, by the time I got to grade 12, I was figuring out what schools I wanted to apply to. And it's funny how it worked out. Um, I never originally intended on going to Waterloo. Um, but then when I was looking at all these schools, Waterloo stuck as like the smart people school, at least in the, yeah, yeah. the region. Um, and going through high school, particularly after having this brain injury, I always, I felt I was stupid. Um, and was called that sometimes. And, you know, from like people poking fun. Um, but I felt like I needed to compensate for my lack of intelligence by going to the smart people school. And yeah. um, so I, I ended up going to Waterloo. I got accepted and I ended up going there. And uh, 
went through my undergrad and it wasn't until my master's degree where I did a talk on brain injury awareness, kind of spur of the moment where I kind of flipped. I was like, this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Okay. Well, so that, that's a, yeah, it's occasion for sure. Um, so, so then my next question, I guess, is the, the habit creation thing. Where did you get this habit? Cause I know, cause I know that's your, your main, your, your, well, not your main, I don't know your main, but your big thing. That's the answer and stuff is your habit creation. So how did this idea come about? So for habits, um, okay. It kind of, I think I recognize. Oh, sorry. And no, I'll just, just, and how does it apply to your, how does that, how does that apply to, to brain injury and brain recovery? So yeah yeah okay so i think i noticed habits in my life playing a big part in my life post brain injury before i knew what it was like i didn't have a name for it um reason being or um to give you an example i should say when i was soccer that was my big piece of my identity that i felt like i lost after my brain injury And so when I played soccer, I noticed that I could still do some things habitually, um, but coordinating new um, decisions on the field or learning new things in practice and then applying them to the field were a little bit more difficult, but I could still do them habitually. But they were were fine before that? They were smoother? Yeah, I would just have that like quicker brain before that. But then all of a sudden, like after the stroke, everything just seemed to slow down from math and things in school to on the soccer field. So I noticed that I can still do things habitually. Again, I didn't have a name for it. It's just kind of something I noticed. And then again, it wasn't really until mm, the tail end of my master's degree. And I don't know what um, drove me, but I was at the bookstore, actually with a friend, and we were looking at books. I hadn't really picked up a book in a really long time, um, recreation, and she saw this one. She's like, oh, I heard this one's good, and it was actually The Power of Habs by Charles Duhigg. And, um, and I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll buy it then, and it was probably the first book I read recreationally for in a long time and it was all about habit and uh, it explained things really what layperson's uh, terms and that's what kind of spurred my interest in habit and conserving energy and then you know hindsight's 2020 but after I started doing a lot of um, reading about the brain and how habit works in the brain or parts of the brain that's when I kind of started to connect a little bit of dots thinking oh maybe that's why I could still do some things on the soccer field for example but yeah. new coordinating was difficult so I kind of um, took that and learned as much as I could about habit and now I'm trying to teach it to as many people as I can to help them conserve energy and um, when they are recovering after a brain injury. And also, as that, as I noticed you uh, in your not podcast, but like you constant chats, like episode five, not your just when you spoke to the McGill group, and uh, and also on your website, you you have a you you seem to be like a visualization. Does that help you, or sorry, visualization? Is that something you find personally that helps you, or is that something you learned, or that 
you know helps other people more? Yeah, that's a really good question. It kind of goes hand in hand with creating habits, um, this idea of visualizing. Um, okay, so when it comes to habits, habits are really there's like a paradox almost to habit because when you create a habit, uh, what you've created is a sort of unconscious or I usually use the word subconscious behavior. Yeah. Um, but they start as highly focused behavior right. and you have to be focused on exactly what you're going to be doing and make sure you're repeating that task um, within the same context until it becomes unconscious. So it starts as conscious, becomes unconscious. So that's sort of the paradox of habit. And so when you're starting to create a habit for the first time, this idea of mental focus and visualization um, is going to help you, you know, be conscious about whatever you're trying to create so that you can do it over and over again, really. Um, and then the other aspect of visualization, oh, it helps with, motivation um so when i can visualize myself doing something before i've done it say i'm scared or nervous to do it but if i can visualize myself doing it first i kind of create some evidence for myself that i can do it i'm not just like lying to myself telling myself i can do it i can do it but if i actually visualize myself feel if i want to lift the dumbbell like if i actually really try and visualize that feel my muscles contracting a little bit Now I've, I've given myself a little bit of evidence for actually picking up that dumbbell in real life and doing a curl, just an example. So, so is that so? Before I turn it over to because Aaron, Aaron, to ask you more questions about retainyourbrain.ca or .com. Anyway, both you discuss that .ca. Well, <laughs> okay, Aaron asked you that, but uh, did you find that visualization, visualization was something to help you before injury? I know that you're a lot younger, got a lot younger then, and probably didn't really. Need it. it was mostly, I guess, your experience. I kind of see you kind of don't need as much memory visualization, it's more just you've done, you've done, you've like made a move or whatever, gave the ball a certain place, and you've seen what happens. But uh, so I guess that's kind of where that came from. Maybe that's why it helps you. But did you find, do you find the visualization helped you before your brain injury? And so after I that, do. And, Sorry, if I ask questions about your retain your brain, that's it. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, so I did not know anything or do anything uh, related to habit or yeah. visualization yeah. Okay. or pretty much any of the things that I do now that have helped me um, risk manage my life. Um, I took a lot of the things that I do now actually from my master's degree. My master's degree, I studied risk management um, physical security and security in airports is what I wrote my paper on. And when I wrote this, I realized that a lot of these risk management we do in physical security can be applied to the sort of security of my mind. And so all the stuff I do now, I did not do it before brain injury. And oh, yeah. if I did, I would be a totally different person. Yeah. <laughs> it's possible too. like those things could have been unconsciously done and you just didn't realize it. But the point of your study and your program, I imagine, is to become aware of those things and yeah, really yeah. try to make them to the forefront of the brain and help people. Um, yeah. yeah, so for Retrain Your Brain and that whole branding, 
that idea you kind of touched on, like you'd picked up that book and you kind of got the idea from there. Is that solely kind of where it came from or how did that idea develop into a whole website and a blog? Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Have to get 30 30, to get 30, to get 20 20, 20 to get 20 20, to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Really good question. Um, oh, the book was definitely um, helped me kickstart things. Actually, no. What helped me really kickstart everything was that talk I did. I just mentioned it briefly at the end of my master's degree, and so I actually did it at. I used to work for the federal government, and I had basically was going through repressing all these feelings after my brain injury until I kind of reached my rock bottom and I was just going through this serious sign in my mood where it started affecting everything and so I ended up finally reaching out to somebody at work and they were like oh my gosh you should you know put it on our internet blog and I did and then somebody saw it and long story short we ended up getting a bunch of people together to do a bunch of talks during brain injury awareness. Remember, I remember sitting at a meeting one day with all these people and I was like the youngest one there. I was still a co-op actually at the time. And they were talking about which PTs or what kind of people related to the uh, brain injury field that we wanted to have come in and talk. And everyone's kind of looking at the table, who should we get? Who should we get? And I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> And they were like, "What?" And so I ended up doing this talk. And um at that moment, I knew I wanted to do something um in the brain injury field. I didn't know how really to do it yet, so I just started 
writing very, very short blogs. I just got a WordPress blog and started writing these tiny little ideas. It was like keeping a diary and sharing it with the world. Mm-hmm. As I was writing and the more I um, kind of got to look at the patterns in my own ideas, I realized the most prominent pattern was not just learning to retrain the physiology or like the the wiring of your brain, I should say. Um, it was that you could use your mind to do that um, because that's what I needed to rely on after my brain was injured was my mind. Um, and that that's an aspect of the brain. Again, this is layperson's term. I'm sure doctors would or neurologists would uh, describe it differently. But um, yeah, so it was really, through, that was the pattern I noticed. I need to have this strong sense of self-discipline um, and use as many tactical things um, in my mind for like little mind tricks to try and retrain my brain and better myself. So that's kind of where that came that's really cool. How um, difficult or rewarding really has it been going through this business process with the whole idea of retrain your brain? That's a great question. Um, it's been incredibly rewarding. Like it's very difficult because you're you don't really have anybody to compare to. Like nobody's telling you you're not going to work every day and nobody's telling you, hey, you need to do this differently. You need to do do this better. You're just kind of throwing the spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks, right? Um I've also gone through a lot of different changes in my life in the past two years with moving from the um Ottawa, Ontario out to Edmonton and then moving back home to Hamilton, changing careers. Um, and so dealing with that while trying to be an advocate at the same time and run a blog and the YouTube and you guys know how it goes has been challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've definitely come to a place in my life where I've realized like as much as I want this to be a full-time job, it doesn't matter what I need to do to pay my bills. I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life because that's how rewarding it is. That's great. Yeah, I went through your Instagram and I was like, oh my gosh, she creates so much content. This is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank um, you. In terms of habits for yourself, do you find that there's like a really big one or a particular one that you always daily have to do? Yeah. Okay. So one that I was thinking about yesterday because I noticed it's been working so well. Um, and again, these aren't really big like habits, I always say micro behaviors, really small things. But when you're doing them over time, um, you can create really big change. Um, and these things don't have to be habitual. You can just do small changes over time. But if you make them habitual, it's helpful. Um, and one thing that I started doing a couple years ago, maybe, uh, is this thing called the foam parking lot. And I'm sure it's not a novel concept. But of course, to me, I'm like, this is new and it's amazing <laughs> to share it with the world. But essentially what it is, because, you know, you have your cell phone in your hand. If you put it down, you're like, where's my phone? And it's like sitting on a table somewhere. Like you always forget where you put it down. And I was sick and tired of doing this, having somebody, oh, can you call my phone? Can you call my phone? And so I'm like, I need to make a parking lot for my phone. And so what I did is just got a white piece of computer paper, made like a makeshift parking lot with a bright marker. Mm -hmm. And 
This spot is for, reserved for Ella's phone. Put it on the corner of the coffee table where I usually do work in the living room. And every time I went to go put the phone down, I would be visually cued by that parking lot and make sure to put my phone um, screen side down in that parking lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing this all the time, every day, multiple times a day. So the point where I noticed I was going to other people's houses or visiting people where I'd be now putting my phone screen side down in the corner of coffee tables. And I'd always know where to look for it if I forget where it was. Mm-hmm. And I think that one, although again, it's a very small thing, it has been unbelievably helpful. I don't remember the last time I had to go to somebody and say, hey, can, can you call my phone? I don't know where I put it. <laughs> it definitely seems like it would help too with decreasing your screen time as, as well. Like you're literally facing it down so you don't have to notice and be distracted by it too. Yep. So. Yep. Definitely. <laughs> Multiple benefits <laughs> there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> definitely. Uh, I guess my last question too was just, is there any additional therapies that you would recommend not only for yourself, but also clients that you might have and other brain injury survivors? Yeah. Um, great question. All great questions. I'm <laughs> saying that after every question today. Um, so after I had my brain injury, so I was 14 at the time, that would have been it's over 13 years ago. And mental, mental health was definitely not as prominence as it is nowadays like we've we've gone through a lot of positive changes when it comes to talking about mental health and dealing with it and managing it um and so after as I was going through recovery you know I was able to physically rehabilitate fairly quickly also because I was just so young I was very lucky um but I didn't have this mental rehabilitation and it wasn't until I sort of hit my rock bottom at that 10-year mark it was a sort of transform, transformational moment for me where I reached out to that colleague mm-hmm. um, that I realized, oh my gosh, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter what you have to do physically to adapt after an injury. Like you always have to be able to engage your mental capacity um, to be able to make those adaptions and mental rehab, again, as I like to call it, is so vital. And so that said, I totally always encourage people to reach out to mental health professionals, even if you don't think you need it. Sometimes good to just talk about things with somebody and it through that conversation, they may bring things out of you that you didn't notice you were doing or holding in. And, and the other thing that's really important is I don't think that all mental health professionals are the same. They're human. And so sometimes it will take visits to four or five or six different ones to find the one that fits for you. That's exactly what I had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't get discouraged um, and keep keep going until you find the right one. I would definitely encourage people to do that. It's definitely a good message. And so uh, where can anyone find you? Website, Instagram, all that stuff. Feel free to plug it now. Yeah, thank you. So you guys can go over to my website, retrainyourbrain.ca, not .com, (laughs) retrainyourbrain.ca. From there, you can definitely follow my other um, social media. So I'm on Instagram mostly and Facebook and Twitter, but mostly Instagram at Ella Sophia, spelled with three S's. And then I'm also on YouTube, same thing, Ella Sophia. Perfect. Thank you.
I just have one. I just have one last question. It's not very, more very yeah. mark, more very observation on the question. But me, you can comment on it. Is that I was talking to a Dave concussion, which are all the McGill concussion legacy thing, and uh, on a group on on Thursday, and I was mentioning we padded up the same thought that you kind of mentioned about because I noticed that my brain injury that one of the difference between me and the, these concussion survivors or that. It's concussion survivors have a lot seen to have more problems with trouble challenges with mental health, mental like emotional issues and stuff like that, psychology. And it's because people don't see them as being injured because this, you know, as they say, it's an invisible injury. But whereas mine was, my injury was very, it was like a coma. So it was like, it was very, it was very obvious that I was injured and it was, wasn't, I, I found that I had less of a problem with that. But maybe that's hindsight, which I probably is actually. But uh, but you were like you're saying you were saying you were lucky because you were so young, which I guess people would be like, what you got get a stroke when you were fourteen? That's not lucky. But perspective, I guess, is what you're kind of going with there. That's a really good point. Perspective is everything. You know, I'll um, to add to what you're saying. You know, I consider myself geek because I compare myself to people who are going through what's like the more difficult challenges. You know, I'm grateful that I don't like with the challenges that I have, or really they're not, it's been 13 years. It's been so long for me that I almost don't even consider them challenges or deficits. Yeah. Now. Um, they're just part of my life. And, and, you know, so I look at other people who have more challenges relative, uh, relatively speaking. And, then I consider myself lucky. Um, and I think that's important to be able to recognize the difficulties that other people go through. So we can understand the reality of our own situation. Okay, I don't, it could be worse. And some people hate, yeah. oh, you know, you. that doesn't mean just by it could be worse. I don't want you to think your own feelings aren't valid. Just recognize that, okay, things could maybe be worse. You know, maybe yeah. you have a different word. Things could yeah. be different. Yes. But I'm still going through challenges, and I still feel different than I was pre-stroke or pre-passion. And that, to, to me or to you, whoever's injured, that's the only thing that matters, the fact that you're different. End of sentence. Doesn't matter how much or how little, just the fact that I feel different is going to be challenging. And... um we can't brush that under the rug. Well, thanks, Jake. So, uh, so I, sorry, I kind of did one at the end there, but uh, like, like, and then we kind of left off before you got your, well, after you, the after the uh, social media stuff. So, just wanted, no worries. So people yeah. can people can find you all on most Instagram and YouTube, and you said Facebook yeah. and Twitter, but mostly Instagram and YouTube. Yeah, and most. Exactly. Mostly active on Instagram. Everything that I post through Instagram goes to Facebook anyways. And of course, I still chat right. with people on Facebook. Um, but yeah, mostly active on Instagram and YouTube. I do put out a lot of more longer form content, I guess. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you, you, thank you so much, guys. I appreciate well, thank you. it. Thank you so much for becoming on. Yeah. Thanks, Ella. Thank you. Music at the beginning of this podcast is by Ben Sound, www.bensound.com.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.